This morning we are closing out uh, our sermon series on parables from Luke that get a little less airtime than some of the other ones. Parables that make you scratch your head, uh, that make you take uh, a second look, that make you say, wait, what? Ooh, I didn't know if it was going to work. That was good. That was good. I like wrote in, I was like, be prepared to say what alone. <laughs> so today we encounter uh, two parables. These are a little bit uh, more well-known. Maybe you know these parables, the parable of the lost sheep and of the lost coin. Let's take a look at these. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, that's Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Maybe you've heard this story before. Maybe you've heard these stories. Uh, it's the type of story that Jesus liked to tell. Uh, in fact, here in Luke 15, Jesus essentially tells this story three times. Uh, there's the parable, and it's, and it's perceived as a unit. Often these first two get paired together, but you have the story of a lost sheep, story of a lost coin, and then after this is the story of the lost son, the story of the prodigal son, which is a hit, right? These are a little bit more deep tracks. But Jesus pairs these, uh, two, uh, these three together. These three are, are kind of like a little, a little triplet, and it's interesting that he does that. Uh, and the arc of the stories are the same. Something of value is lost, it's found, and it's celebrated. What prompts all three of these stories is nothing else than a critique of something that Jesus is doing, something that Jesus liked to do. First two tells us that the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. It's the word that's used. They were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay. Or as Eugene Peterson translates this in the message, the Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased, not pleased at all. They growled, saying, Jesus takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. I really like that translation. To me, growling is very different than grumbling. So we're told right from the get-go that Jesus is eating with these people of, and again, in the Peterson translation, doubtful reputation. 
is the word that's used instead of tax collectors and sinners. We have to keep in mind that Jesus isn't catching a quick bite with them at a coffee shop and then moving on. It's a little bit more intense with that when you have a meal with someone, as we all know. He's sharing a table with them, right? People are gathering at someone's house. Someone gets lost on the way. You're taking off coats and purses when you walk in. You're asking if you you should take off your shoes or if it's a shoe house, if it's a non-shoe house. Maybe you picked up a bottle of wine on the way because you didn't want to show up empty-handed. This makes you like 15 minutes late, so then you feel kind of awkward for that. You have an appetizer, you know, over some small talk. Then you gather around the table with that awkward game of who sits where. I hate that game. You're passing bowls of food. You're pretending to like food that you don't like. That's to not offend. That's what my mom taught me. Eat everything that they give you. You're sharing stories and laughter. Things start to get more comfortable as the meal goes on. You're asking about the record, the playlist playing in the background. You think it's something custom, but it's just off Pandora or Spotify. Through all these hours that come with Jesus sharing a meal with these people of doubtful reputation, Jesus is demonstrating a deep and abiding acceptance of a group of people that society has deemed outsiders. So this is, this is offensive. Because it's not just a high five in the hallway, right? It's, it's hours together. It's evenings together. And as a result, the Pharisees and the religion scholars are grumbling. And we love to grumble, don't we? It's kind of a universal pastime for human beings, I feel like. And I hate to admit it, but grumbling has always kind of been my where I start. Like my wife will tell you, it's kind of where I start. It's not always where I end. And like once I'm doing something, I'm usually enjoying it. But there's that like five minute period where I'm told about something that I have to do. And it kind of, I kind of start with grumbling, if I'm being honest. That's just, that's just like my start. It's never my landing place, but that's kind of where I start. And I like to ease into positivity. <laughs> yeah, I like to ease in. You know, I like, I, I like to start with like, this is going to be bad, because if it's good, then it's a plus. It's just like, a, it's, a, it's a bonus. I think this is why I identify so well with Ernest Hemingway's character in Midnight in Paris. Have you guys seen Midnight in Paris? It's one of my favorite Woody Allen movies. If you haven't seen it, it's fantastic. Uh, a writer named Gill, who's played beautifully by Owen Wilson, is magically transported into Paris in the 1920s. And while he's there, he's meeting you know Pablo Picasso and... Gertrude Stein, he's meeting all these famous people, and he meets Ernest Hemingway early on, befriends Ernest Hemingway. And eventually, throughout their friendship, Owen Wilson like, gets the confidence as, as someone who's a screenwriter in L.A. in modern day, who wants to write his first novel, he gets the confidence to have this conversation with Ernest Hemingway, and I love it. Gill says, will you read it? And Hemingway says, your novel? And Gill says, yeah, it's about 400 pages long, and I'm just looking for an opinion. And Hemingway says, my opinion is, I hate it. (laughs) Gill says, you haven't even read it yet. And he does it in that Owen Wilson voice, which is so good. You you haven't even read it yet. And Hemingway says, if it's bad, I'll hate it because I hate bad writing. And if it's good, I'll be envious and hate it all the more. So either way, I hate it. (laughs) I think if we're all honest, there's a little bit of Hemingway inside of all of us. 
I feel like we especially love to grumble when someone new is brought in, when others are brought in to, to our thing. It's easy for us to get comfortable with who we see around the table. We become friends. We get close. There's like a comfortable vibe. And then the doorbell rings. And someone brings in a stranger. And just for a moment, maybe even just for a second, if we're being honest, your head drops. And that thought hits you like, I have no idea what to expect here. Is this going to be good or is it going to be bad? Recently, I was filled in about some family drama that took place around my mother's dinner table in Texas. So my cousin was in town for the weekend. So my mom had my father and my cousin and my brother over for a small family dinner. And my mom Airbnbs her upstairs guest room. And the dinner took place, like it happened to take place on a night where this family dinner was happening. And usually if we have family in town, my mom will block off those Airbnb dates, if it's like Christmas or Thanksgiving or something, so that way there's, you know, the, a stranger doesn't feel awkward that we're having Christmas without them. Uh, she, she likes to block off certain times even just for her to take a break. Well, the notice on this specific weekend was short, and she wasn't able to block it out. She had a long-term uh, guest staying with her, a young woman who was staying with her. And so naturally, the good Baptist that my mother is, she invited this woman to join in on this family dinner, not really thinking much of it. And apparently, this like totally freaked the rest of my family out. They struggled with having a stranger at a family dinner. Thank God I wasn't there, because I got to just witness this whole thing unfold from a safe distance and be an unbiased sounding board. But after the dinner, some emails were exchanged. Like my brothers and I, my older brother and I, we weren't even there. We got CC'd on them. I was like, don't CC me on this. Like, don't drag me into this. But, but all the while, I was kind of like eating popcorn, like watching it happen. When a family drama doesn't include you, it's like kind of a cool thing. Um, <laughs> and it was just feelings were hurt. Things were said. Feelings were hurt. And you're like watching it unfold. And you're like, hey, he's going to regret that. She's not going to like that. That's not going to, you know. And I tell this story because I think it captures a feeling that we've all had, right? That for maybe even just for a moment of, I thought this was just a family. Who's this person? And this is what we hear the Pharisees and the scribes saying in their grumbling. I thought this was just a family thing. And then Luke hits us with verse 3. So, dot, dot, dot. Jesus told them this parable. A shepherd leaves 99 sheep to find the lost one. I've always read that and been like, this is a bad shepherd. Like, one, he lost a sheep, but two, he leaves 99 in the wilderness to go find the one, right? I've always been like, I hope I'm not the 99. <laughs> a woman tears her house apart to find a lost coin. They really are powerful stories, right? A couple months ago, our dog Violet, and I've told some of you this, she got out. Um, it was my wife's fault. <laughs> Just start there. <laughs> my wife had her headphones in on the patio, and we didn't know that, that Violet was smart enough to be able to unhitch our gate, and I, I hadn't put a lock on it, so I guess that's my fault. Um, 
but it, it kind of wedges up against the wall. We didn't really think much of it. And because my wife had her headphones on, she didn't hear Violet scratching at this gate. And she was able to get it open, and she bounced. <laughs> she was like, I'm out. And uh, I mean, it took probably an hour for my wife to even notice. I think she was working on a sermon or something, had her back to the gate on the patio, headphones in, turns around, like Violet's not there, none of the house doors are open. So she's like, well, something happened. Of course, the gate like swings back, so we really didn't know what happened. Like, did someone take her? She thinks that maybe I had her in the house. I don't have her. We're looking everywhere. Eventually, it ends up with me in my truck driving around just screaming Violet like a crazy person. My wife, we go in different directions. She's looking in shrubs and bushes. She's searching high and low, and I'm freaking out. Like, like an hour goes by. Like, that doubt starts to bubble up. Like, she's gone. Like, I started to have that, like, very scary feeling. I feel like I've... I don't have kids. It's a feeling I've never had in my life of like, I think I just lost something. Someone, something really, is really valuable to me, who feels like a member of our family. And she's gone. And like started to settle in and I could like feel like my stomach nodding up. And I felt like that like, I feel like that shelf of anger <laughs> that every man has like right under their chest. I felt it like starting to come out a little bit. And I was like, I was like getting scared. I was getting terrified. So I, I decided, oh, she has a microchip. Violet has a microchip. So I need to go back and I need to like alert the microchip people. So that way if someone picks her up, like they, of course, I think this is like a GPS tracker. I'm going to get to like find her on my iPhone. It's not how it works. Didn't know till that moment. I'm like, it's just going to let a shelter know? Like she has to make it to the shelter. This is crazy. She'll never get found. Um, so I'm freaking out. And then I hear like scratching at the door, like while I'm trying to, and my wife's still out looking for her, and I'm trying to remember the stupid password that I said a year ago that I can't remember. I'm getting blocked out. And I hear the scratching at the door, and I open the door, and there's Violet. Like she's just at the front door. And we live in a townhouse, so like it's pretty impressive that she just went to our door. And she's just like panting, like hardcore, like basically like, hey, I went out for a run and I forgot my key. Like, are you going to let me in? <laughs> It's like the vibe. And I like, I fell to my knees and I picked her up in my arms. She's, she's a 45 pound dog, you know, so I, I picked her up in my arms and I just started crying. And I just sobbed. Just her fur is wet, just soaked with my tears. And the story kind of clicked for me in a new way. When the sheep is found, the shepherd lifts it up and puts it on his shoulder, and he rejoices. And there's a party quickly afterward. Friends are phoned. Neighbors are invited over. Music gets cranked up. What other response is there in that moment than to rejoice and to celebrate when we hear these stories, we can't help but think as God is the shepherd and God as this woman who's looking for this coin and the sheep. And for me, the wait what moment is not just found in the beauty and the power of these stories, but it's kind of found in the fact that Jesus tells them at all. Because Jesus tells these stories to engage a conversation with these grumbling people. Like, that's the miracle for me of these stories. He could have left. 
You could have just walked away. Lord knows it's easier when someone's critiquing you and grumbling to just be like, I'm out. To just try and open up that gate and bounce. But Jesus does the pretty difficult thing of saying, no, let's have a conversation. I'm going to tell you a story. Often it's a brutally inconvenient thing to initiate a conversation in a moment like that when you're talking with someone you don't agree with, right? Which is an experience we've all had, maybe more so increasingly in the climate that we're in. Where politicians will not talk to people from other parties. Where we unfriend and unfollow each other on social media just because it's more convenient. When you see something that you don't agree with, you got that crazy uncle that's just like, oh, I'm not on board with this. Unfriend. <laughs> Jesus is aware that the Pharisees and the scribes, these religious scholars, are themselves lost. And it's hard to remember that in those moments. And in their grumbling, Jesus doesn't condemn or ignore or walk away. He initiates a conversation. And in our grumbling, God doesn't ignore or condemn or walk away. He initiates a conversation with us. In the aftermath of what I've been referring to as Airbnb invite night, my brothers and I coined that, I was processing the experience with my mom, and this is essentially what she said. I couldn't help but think about all the times that other people have shown you and your brothers hospitality, that have invited you over for dinner when you've been away from home, when you were basically strangers to them. And as a mother, I was always grateful that someone was opening up their table to my boys when, when they weren't around to be at my table. I didn't want this young woman who's traveling a thousand miles from her family to smell us cooking a meal, to hear us clinging our glasses and silverware and our laughter and our conversation and not be able to be a part of it. That's just who my mom is. She's always gathering people in, looking like scanning for that sheep and that coin. It's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. With the launch of our new Saturday evening worshiping community around the corner, uh, the First Table leadership team and I have been pondering a few of these questions for the past year or so. Who is not at the table? Who are we not in conversation with? How is the Holy Spirit initiating a conversation with us to inspire us to initiate a conversation with them? I thank God that this is how God works. That this is at His core who God is. Because at one time or another, we are all lost. We slip out the back gate. We stray a little too far from the flock. And we need a God who will come after us. And at one time or another, we are all the Pharisees and the scribes. The 99 sheep, the nine coins, the older son who's left in the fields. The most brutal part of that story 
he come, the older son, the prodigal son, he comes home to the party to see it happening, and he gets angry, and we all condemn his anger. He wasn't even invited to the party. We've all been in that situation as well. Eugene Peterson, who's one of my favorite pastors and theologians and writers, he passed away last October. And this is what his son said about his father at his funeral. For 50 years, my dad has fooled us all. Because for 50 years, my dad only preached one sermon that he simply repeated over and over again. They are words that my dad snuck into my room to say over me as I slept as a child. Words that my dad whispered into my heart. God loves you. God is on your side. God is coming after you. And God is relentless. God is relentless especially when it comes to those who are lost. This is who God is, and it's a gift. It's a gift to us that we have inside of us in some holy, mysterious way. May we be good stewards of it. May we share it well. Amen. All right, will you please stand with us as our, for our last... done for me.
one for me with us. We're so glad that you're here. Um, as I'd mentioned in my sermon, we are launching a new worshiping community on Saturday evenings called First Table. Uh, and we, the leadership team and I, would love for you to support us in grabbing one of these prayers on the way out. This is a table tent that you can put on your table. It's a blessing for your table, for local tables, and for First Table. So we'd love for you to support us in that way, praying the same prayer with us uh, as we head into November 16th, which is our launch. And if you feel like you want to be a part of that, you want to uh, attend or serve with us, grab one of these commitment cards uh, and just fill out the bottom portion for us. Uh, with that said, we, we hope to see you back here next, oh, not, not back here. We hope to see you manifest <laughs> next week. Two in a row there. Coco Booth, 1030 next Sunday. We hope to see you there. Uh, receive now this benediction. Go forth this week to open up your tables, uh, to initiate conversation, to listen to where the Holy Spirit is leading you towards sheeps and coins and the lost sons. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.